The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. In the headlines this hour, the Hang Seng and the Nikkei lead a rally in Asia following U.S. stocks into the green as investors rotate out of tech names and drive value cyclical stocks higher. Republicans and Democrats remain divided over the pandemic relief plan, but U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin has told CNBC he is confident in President Trump's strategy. The president is determined to spend what we need to spend. Uh, the, the $3 trillion we spent, plus a, a trillion dollars more, that's about 20% of GDP. I mean, that's just absolutely historic. And we're prepared to put more money on the table. The government resigns amid widespread protests over the port explosion that left over 160 dead as the outgoing prime minister blames endemic corruption. We want to open the door to national salvation that the Lebanese will help in making. And so today, I declare the resignation of this government. And German COVID vaccine developer CureVac hopes to raise $245 million through its US IPO as the group looks to fund production of its coronavirus drug. So welcome to the program. Let's just pick up with a quick look at how the U.S. trading session closed business. And uh, worth just pointing out that uh, we've seen a little bit of a pickup of uh, the trend that we saw last week as we've come into this trading week here with both the Dow and the S&P pushing forward. The Nasdaq seeing some rotation out of uh, higher value tech names into what are perceived to be value cyclicals to take advantage of uh, potential uplift in GDP growth. And I will mention uh, Goldman has hiked its S&P earnings estimate and they've also uh, put out a more optimistic note about the direction for the unemployment rate. And they say the uh, arrival date of a vaccine is getting closer. Um, That just part of, I think, a general uplift in sentiment around the prospects for better earnings going forward and perhaps uh, an improvement in consumer spending. Um, Asia has seen uh, a strong uplift as well. We should talk a little bit about some of the idiosyncratic drivers because some of these individual markets have their own reasons for being up at this point. Uh, Let's get out to Matt Taylor, who's just going to update us on the movers this morning. Matt, good morning to you. Hi there, Jeff. Good morning to you. Yeah, a strong session. There are some patches of red uh, for the likes of New Zealand, which is just closing. Uh, Singapore, we had a rough GDP print. I'll tell you about that in a moment. Uh, And of course, in Taiwan as well. But broadly speaking, we are seeing the North Asian markets doing well. Uh, Japan, South Korea up by about 1.4%. But the outperformer is the Hong Kong market, uh, just reopening from the lunch break, up by about 2.3%. Yesterday, it was the underperformer. Uh, Today, we are seeing it gain despite those rising tensions between China and the US. Now, I mentioned Japan back from a holiday yesterday and
and doing well, up by about 1.8%. We are waiting on earnings, the biggie. SoftBank out after the close. We're expecting to see a 50% drop in quarterly profit. Those shares are down ahead of that. And I mentioned uh, Singapore. We did see the market higher, but just turning around negative. We did get a really weak GDP print there. Q2 GDP showing that the economy contracted 42% uh, quarter on quarter. Jeff, back to you. All right, Matt. Thanks very much indeed for that. Well, let's focus a little bit on the stimulus here because it's clear that um, there are concerns about the likelihood of uh, a serious impact to the U.S. economy without this stimulus getting signed off. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin says White House officials are open now to resuming talks with congressional Democrats as they look to break an impasse over the new stimulus package. Speaking to our U.S. colleagues, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin didn't say when the negotiations would restart, but claimed the Trump administration is willing to greenlight more fiscal help for the economy. The president is determined to spend what we need to spend. Uh, the the $3 trillion we spent plus a, a trillion dollars more, that's about 20% of GDP. I mean, that's just absolutely historic. And we're prepared to put more money on the table. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer also said he'd be willing to resume talks, urging the White House to make compromises to help reach a deal. The only way to crush the virus and truly protect American working families is to pass a comprehensive bill in Congress that is equal to the challenges facing our country. Democrats remain ready to return to the table. We need our Republicans to join us there and meet us halfway and work together to deliver immediate relief to the American people. The president, his aides, his party in Congress are not even awake to what's happening in this country. That is the reason why Senate Republicans delayed for four, more, more, four long months. And that is the reason we've been unable to find agreement with the White House. Chuck Schumer there. Meanwhile, President Trump defended an executive order that would make individual states pay for 25% of weekly federal jobless benefits, despite many facing major budget shortfalls. We just had a meeting with the governors and they were very anxious to get money for the people in their states. And if they, uh, depending on the state, we have the right to do what we want to do. We can terminate the 25%. Uh, or we don't have to do that, so we'll see what it is. Depends on the individual state. But a lot of money will be going to a lot of people very quickly. And I've instructed the Secretary of the Treasury to move as quickly as he can, right? So we'll get it done. Uh, President Trump there. Well, all of this uh, enthusiasm about doing a deal apparently bleeding into the direction for the greenback. Let's have a look at the dollar crosses at this point. And um, notable, I think that we're sitting one, uh, what is that, 117.51. Um, at this point, uh, the uh, euro uh, had be, been the, near the low of the session uh, uh, against the uh, dollar earlier on. And we continue to sit around these 117.50 uh, uh, numbers. And um, generally, uh, the dollar off the two-year low that has encouraged many to believe that um, we might see some kind of serious uh, structural uh, move lower for the greenback here. What does Thanos Papasavas think? He's founder and CIO of ABP Invest. Um, Thanos, every time the market tries to write off the dollar on this move, it has a little bit of a bounce back. What's going on here? Morning, Jeff. I I think that um, 
the dollar from our point of view will be on a sort of a more structural decline uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, I believe that the recovery we're going to be seeing is not going to be a V recovery, but I do believe it's going to be a U recovery. Um, ample fiscal policy, monetary policy, going to support not only the majors, but also the emerging market um, economies. So I see the uh, US dollar weakening from here. There's no sign of any interest rate changes as far as the Fed is concerned. And at the end of the day, I do believe, especially versus the euro, we're going to be seeing some structural positive developments within the EU over the next few years, which will support the structural as well as the cyclical recovery of the single currency. So I'm positive the euro, negative the dollar, but also positive starting. What about the um, the interest rate advantage that the dollar still just about enjoys at this point, Thanos? As I looked at the action in the Treasury yesterday, we did see yields also up a little firmer here. So the dollar has benefited perhaps from some interest rate advantage. Um, how does that sit with your structural argument for weakness, given that I don't see rates in Europe moving anytime soon? True. The, the interest rate differential has been supported, uh, has been supporting, if you like, the, the dollar even over the last few years. Interest rate differentials and economic growth differentials have been in the favor of the US and hence the stronger dollar. However, I believe that although the interest rate differentials will remain where they are relatively narrowly, the economic differentials, I think, will shift in favor of Europe. So, yes, I agree with you that we're not going to see any shift in interest rate differentials towards Europe. Um, but I don't see any significant pickup from the U.S. from here, as, 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 as the Fed chair has always said, we're not even thinking about thinking about raising rates. The, the euro um, does appear to have been the major beneficiary of uh, any uh, dollar weakness here. Um, would you stick with the euro v dollar if you're trying to take advantage of a reassertion of that structural weakness you've talked about? Or are there better crosses to take advantage of? Well, there are a number of, um, of, of ways of expressing a, a negative dollar view. One is through the major currencies, and sort of, such as the euro and also sterling, um, also the Australian dollar. I believe that we have not only a stronger Europe, which is going to be beneficial, but I do believe we're going to have a strong China. Um, I believe that we're going to be seeing receding globalization. Um, and all of these tend to play towards a more diversified allocation, including emerging markets. So emerging markets, I believe, in Brazil, in, in, in Mexico, um, Indonesian rupiah, Korean one, but yet negative on the, on the Turkish lira and, and the Indian rupee. So there's always ways of expressing that view through some overweight and underweight currencies. Yeah, let's just go into the Turkish lira a little bit more here because it's been an extraordinary move over recent days. Is there any opportunity here to uh, play the bounces? I, I, unfortunately, I don't, I don't believe so, not, not from our point of view. Um, we've been negative the Turkish lira for the last two years, even before the 2018 crisis, uh, predominantly for three reasons. One, because of the unorthodox macroprudential measures. Uh, which have been followed by President Erdogan. The second is the, the lack of central bank independence and the, the broader governance issues. Um, and, the, and, and, and the third, just sort of lost my train of thought, but, and the third is the geopolitical isolation. Um, sort of Turkey has been distancing itself from the EU, from the US, from Russia. And I believe that unless there is a structural change in the thinking around that, we can't see a, a recovery. There's two ways that can deal with it. 
One, potentially by raising rates, which President Erdogan does not believe in, that, that would be an anathema to President Erdogan to try and raise rates. And therefore, even if they did to try and prevent this from accentuating this crisis, it's only going to be a temporary relief. The second way of dealing with it could be the interventions. We know that as far as the dry power is concerned, it's been left relatively small. And um, secondly, it's a unilateral rather than a multilateral attempt. And we know that in terms of interventions, unilaterals don't really work as well. And thirdly, very importantly, it's again to be underlying fundamentals. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite concerned that the currency could continue weakening even from these current levels unless we see some structural change of thought from uh, President Erdogan in terms of the policies that take tend to follow it's interesting that you've um, shifted your outlook on the uh, South African rand here, uh, given um, that it's uh, the country suffers uh, a lot of the, the same similar economic woes that we see in Turkey. Similar, not exactly. The issue I have with, with Turkey and with India, for that, the other reason I'm, I maintain an Indian negative, is, is the lack of central bank independence. Whereas I believe that in South Africa, there is more transparency in terms, of the, in terms of the Saab and the Central Bank, and more in line economic measures. The reason why I changed my view on the South African RAND, um, after weakened during the, the, the COVID-19 crisis, we were, we were negative, and then we closed that negative went back to neutral, close to 19. The reason being that the, the, the underlying negativity surrounding the Turkish era, in our view, was overdone. We have not turned positive um, the South African land yet, but we are maintaining a neutral exposure. So the, the difference between our view on the RAND versus India and Turkey is governance and, and, and lack of any central bank um, independence. Yeah, and Thanos, just before we let you go here, any other currency that we haven't mentioned so far that you think is starting to look attractive at this price? Well, I think that broadly the Latin American currencies, um, as, as a diversified sort of Brazil, Mexico, um, Chile as well, these are going to be benefiting from a, a, a stronger China um, and also from the deglobalization, which means that Mexico will start to benefit from the closer proximity to the US. And also something we haven't touched upon, Jeff, which is inflation. I believe that inflation is coming back. It may not be a 20, 2020 story because of the upper cap, but a number of factors are changed over the last few years, which means that inflation this time around through the ample the liquidity which has been provided not only to the systemic institutions but broad, broadly spread out and, and the fact that there's such huge levels of debt, a little bit of inflation would help central banks. So I think inflation will be helping commodities, commodity currencies, strong China, strong EU and, and recent deglobalization will help those as well. Let, let, let me push back on that for a moment. How is Please. that inflation going to be created, Thanos? We've seen uh, central banks willing to expand their balance sheets since the global financial crisis uh, of over a decade ago. It didn't create inflation. Why are we going to get inflation now from official money printing when it didn't happen before? Of course, a number of reasons. Um, number one, the, the, the stimulus which was provided just after the global financial crisis was focused predominantly on the major banks to help their balance sheets and to help them avoid bankruptcy. This time around, the stimulus is not linked directly to the banks themselves, but spread widely to consumers, but also small, medium enterprises, number one. Number two, the actual amount of stimulus which is taking place now is five times more than it was during the global financial crisis in a very short period of time. So not only it's directed much more broadly, but it's also specifically distributed much more widely. 
the Fed is because of the receding globalization, which I think we're going to be seeing, partly because of the tensions, obviously, between U.S. Europe, U.S. China, but also the, the, the fact for national champions. I think COVID-19 has given an example. National champions coming closer to home, supply chains coming closer to home. Um, you won't be able to benefit from the lower wages which have been used before. So increasing supply costs will also be in place. And last but not least, as I mentioned, the, the central bankers would want a little bit of inflation to, to, to come through. So it's not a 2020 um, story, but I do believe it's going to be 2021 onwards, which should be helping commodities, um, which should be helping some of the commodity currencies as well. All right. Terrific. Good to see you, Thanos. Thanks for your help. Thanos Papasavas, founder and CIO of ABP Invest. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, U.S. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin issues a warning to Chinese companies. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. And a reminder, you can catch up with all the stories on CNBC on the podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. The Fed has unveiled custom capital requirements for America's largest banks for the first time ever following stress tests earlier this year. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley will be required to hold the biggest capital buffers, which will take effect in October. The Fed also rejected an appeal by Goldman to reconsider the decision, saying the results were, quote, consistent with the framework of the stress tests. Robin Hood has reported more monthly trades than all other publicly traded stockbrokers. The trading app saw over 4 million daily average revenue trades last month, which is higher than its main rivals, E-Trade and Charles Schwab combined. The startup says it has added more than 3 million customers since the start of the year, but it also faced multiple outage days in early March, as well as pressure to update its trading restrictions. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin says Chinese companies that do not meet U.S. accounting standards face delisting from American stock exchanges from the end of next year. Uh, Let's get out to Sam for more on this. Sam, it it sort of started as speculation and then a bit of a rumor and then, um, you know, officials chattering in corridors. Now this is firming up into a real story. So, Mnuchin is determined at this point, do we believe, to make this happen? Yeah, that's right, Jeff. Good morning to you. So this comes after U.S. President Donald Trump called for recommendations to actually protect U.S. investors from what he says is China's failure to allow audits of U.S. listed Chinese companies, really a part of his broader crackdown, this toughening stance on China uh, on multiple fronts. And so these are now the recommendations uh, that uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and other U.S. officials uh, which were put up to this uh, have now put forward in order to make sure that uh, 
Chinese companies uh, do uh, follow the same standards and, and regulations as American companies do. And it comes, of course, uh, amid mounting pressure also from Congress to crack down on Chinese companies that don't play by the U.S. rulebook. Now, Chinese firms reportedly say that they can't comply based on national security grounds. And Chinese authorities are said to be reluctant to actually allow overseas inspections, making it difficult to gain access to these documents. But actually, since these latest recommendations have been put forward by Mnuchin, China's securities regulator has now uh, called for dialogue and cooperation between the two sides. And uh, it's said to have actually recently sent proposals uh, on joint inspections with its U.S. counterpart. But of course, the prospect of these potential delistings has certainly seen this resurgence of Chinese companies actually coming home to list. And this could potentially uh, even speed up that trend uh, in the face of a lot of this U.S. Uh, pressure. And speaking of that more broadly, this, of course, comes as that China has now slapped sanctions on 11 U.S. citizens in response to Washington doing the same thing on 11 Hong Kong and Chinese officials uh, over accusations uh, of curtailing political freedoms uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, now, when asked about these Chinese uh, sanctions uh, earlier this morning, U.S. President Donald Trump said uh, that the U.S. Uh, had already responded. But of course, this Chinese uh, reaction is certainly uh, fairly consistent with these tit-for-tat measures that we have seen. China hasn't spelled out exactly what these uh, sanctions actually entail. But in terms of who it's going after as part of this group, uh, these include Senator uh, lawmakers uh, Marco Rubio, uh, Tom Cotton and Ted Cruz, uh, which are among many people who have been very vocal critics of China over this controversial Hong Kong national security law. Jeff, back to you. All right. Terrific. Thank you so much for that. The White House is considering a measure to ban U.S. citizens and permanent residents from returning to America if they are suspected to have contracted coronavirus. The draft regulation would give the government authorization to block anyone from entering the US if it's reasonably believed they might be infected. Uh, shares in US airlines soared after data released by the TSA showed air travel had hit its highest daily volume in nearly five months with over 830,000 passengers passing through U.S. airports on Sunday. The stocks also rallied on the back of growing political support for further federal aid to be given to the beleaguered industry, as executives warned more than 700,000 jobs are at risk uh, once the current aid package expires in October. The travel and leisure sector has been hit hard by global lockdowns. Earnings from Royal Caribbean and Marriott International show, even though the last quarter was a difficult one, signs of a recovery are emerging in some parts of the world. Seema Modi has the report. A very difficult quarter for travel and hospitality names. Royal Caribbean, the major cruise line, posting a 94% drop in second quarter revenue. Yet, the stock moved higher on Monday. In response to comments made by CEO Richard Fain exclusively on CNBC, Fain telling me that while it's unclear whether the U.S. cruise lines can get back to sea before the end of the year due to the ongoing discussions with the CDC, they are hoping to see a resumption in sailings in other parts of the world, like China, Australia, and Italy. With COVID, I don't think anybody can be confident of anything. I think um, we are seeing some movement in other countries, 
Uh, we've seen we started up in Germany. Uh, looks like in mid-August you'll see some starting up in uh, out of Italy. Um, we are hopeful that things will improve and, and also we'll see some movement in Australia and China. But every place is looking at it independently. And we're learning. Fain also told CNBC that Royal Caribbean is considering other options to alleviate the financial pain it is under. It's already raised a lot of money in the debt market, but with sailing suspended for about five months and counting, it's burning a lot of cash every month. Fain did say it will, however, not look to the federal government for relief. We're not having discussions with the U.S. government about um, supporting the cruise industry. Um, we started with a strong balance sheet. We've, made, we've taken a lot of steps to improve our liquidity. We've taken a lot of steps to bring our costs under control. It's a very painful process we've gone through, but we're doing that um, without relying on the U.S. government. We're doing that on our own. Turning to Marriott, tough quarter, but the world's largest hotel operator did say it's seeing a slower cash burn rate as domestic travel in the U.S. starts to recover. China, also a bright spot. Occupancy rate now back up to around 60 percent. It's also opening new hotels across the mainland. Marriott says its partnership with Alibaba, made a couple years ago, is also paying off as an effective way to boost its brand name amongst Chinese citizens. For CNBC Business News, I'm Seema Modi. Thank you, Seema. Uh, McDonald's is suing former chief executive Steve Easterbrook, accusing him of hiding details about three sexual relationships with employees. Easterbrook was fired last year after the company found out he had a consensual relationship with a worker. But through an investigation, McDonald's also discovered the additional affairs. The company is aiming to recover Easterbrook's payoff. He left with a package worth $40 million. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.